Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at The MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another episode on the MyFit Podcast. I want to start this week's episode by reading the review of the week on iTunes. This week's review comes from Tracy Tucker underscore CFS and she said, Always impressed, not only with the guests DJ gets on the show, but the way he conducts each episode. They are well thought, provide valuable information, and are entertaining to listen to. There hasn't been an episode I didn't learn something from to apply to my own coaching. For that, I will be a continued listener, highly recommended to anyone. Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. Um, You have no idea how much that means to me, makes me feel good, puts a smile on my face, and also boosts the popularity of the show on the interwebs and helps get guests to show as well. Today on the MyFit Podcast review, Julian Treasure. For those of you who don't know Julian, Julian is a sound and communication expert whose mission is to help people and organizations listen better and create healthier and more effective sound, including speaking. He is the author of the books, How to Be Heard and Sound Business. And for those of you who are into TED Talks, he has been featured on TED Talk five times and has accumulated more than 100 million views, including the most popular TED Talk called How to Speak So That People Want to Listen, which is actually a top 10 all-time watched TED Talk. And that's where I found uh, Julian for the first time. If you guys haven't listened to that, I really recommend if you're a TED Talk fan, go check that out. And you know, with our world being very busy, noisy, and chaotic, I was thrilled to get a chance to talk to Julian about how we can better slow down, listen, communicate more effectively and thoroughly, and also just talk in ways to make people turn their head and want to give you their full attention. And so in today's conversation, we started by talking about TED Talks, talking about Julian's experience uh, at TED Talk, what it's like, what are some of the things that uh, fans or the audience don't really know. Then we got into a little bit more of the X's and O's of communication, and we first started to talk about listening versus hearing and why those two things are very much different and how we can be better listeners. I think in order to be better speakers, and Julian would say the same, we have to be better listeners. After that, we went into my favorite part of the show, which is talking about the seven deadly sins of communication. And if you've seen Julian's TED Talk, he goes through the seven deadly sins. And it's something that really resonated with me, just being around people as much as I am. Um, I think after you hear the seven deadly sins, you will notice them a lot quicker in your communications uh, wherever you take yourself. Uh, Then after that, we talked about ego. And I thought it was very interesting after hearing Julian through the hour of our conversation about how much ego plays a role in being a better listener and a better speaker. 
Then we talked about how to command a room better, whether you're a coach, a presenter, a teacher, professor, how can you command a room better? And then we closed down by talking about a couple different ways to get rid of filler words. And I think everybody ha- kind of has a filler word, whether they know it or not. Uh, I think in Minnesota, the popular one is probably, you know, or right. And you don't know that you're saying it, but after every stinking sentence, you're slipping that fit in. And so it's kind of fun to talk to him about what are some ways that presenters can get rid of those filler words. So if you guys are interested in becoming better communicators or better listeners and dive into some of the X's and O's about being better at those two types of areas in your life, especially if you feel like a lot of your communication you feel is through social media and through the interwebs. I think that we could all uh, during this time kind of take a step back and kind of go through the art of communication again and hopefully not lose it, especially during this pandemic. We kind of talked about how we may be losing some of the art of simple communication, simple face-to-face talking and diving deep into subjects. So if you're interested in those types of things and you want to hear about some strategies and practical ways to improve your listening and speaking then this episode is for you. And I think you're going to love it. It is one of my favorite ones yet. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review like Tracy did and get it read on the next show. That really helps a ton. Uh, And share it with a friend who you think could benefit from learning more about communication. All right, enough of me. Let's get to the show with Julian Treasure. Let's go. Julian, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm super thrilled and excited to talk with you today. Well, thank you very much for having me, DJ. Nice to be here. Absolutely. So for those of the people that are pausing the episode to Google you or YouTube you, uh, it's not going to be long before they find your big TED Talk, which has over 28 million views just on YouTube alone. I'm curious. My first question to you is, one, does it surprise you that your TED Talk has taken off so much? And then two, what is it like to be a speaker at a TED event? Are there some things that an audience doesn't really know that would be kind of interesting to find out? Well, number one, um, I felt good about that one. Actually, that was the fifth TED Talk that I'd done in five successive years. So that's, you know, that's unusual. Um, not many people have done five. And so uh, I kind of got used to the format, the audience, and so forth. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and I felt very happy with, you know, both the prep of that course, or that talk, rather, and also... Um, the way I did it on the day, uh, I had no idea it was going to go as ballistic as it did. I mean, they didn't release it for nine months, I think, after I did it. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they didn't like it um, or whatever. But, you know, they have their own schedule. And uh, the moment it got released, really, it it started taking off. And, uh, I mean, it is unbelievable. I think together all the five TED Talks have had 100 million views on the internet which is just a staggering number of people. And uh, it, it's scary to think that, you know, like a football stadium full of people are looking at me every day in some way, shape or form. But um, as I always train people on, it's not about you if you're speaking and it totally isn't. What thrills me is that that message about powerful communication, about the importance of uh, communicating clearly you know, being honest, having authenticity, having integrity, having love in what you say, that's getting out to a lot of people and it's ripples in the pond. I mean, never, I think in the world, as we've seen over the past few weeks in in your country, never have we needed communication 
more than we do now. So that's kind of thrilling. And yes, you asked about the experience of speaking at TED. I mean, I love TED. I've been going to it since 2003, which is pretty much when Chris Anderson um, took it over from Richard Saul Werman and turned it from a kind of private dinner club for the Cognoscenti on the West Coast into a global phenomenon, really, um, including releasing the videos free of charge, which everybody said, you're mad, you've got a paying conference, nobody's going to go if you put the videos out on the, on, uh, well, everybody knows what happened after that, you know, it, it really became huge. And when you walk out onto that red dot, uh, it is somewhat intimidating because you look out into the, oh, look, there's Bill Gates. Oh, there's Sergey Brin. Oh, there's Jeff Bezos, you know. And it is not your average audience. So I certainly knew when I was doing that that I was sticking my head up above the parapet. You know, if you're going to go on stage and talk about talking at TED, <laughs> it doesn't get much more intimidating than that. And I think if, I, if that had been my first TED talk, I would have been really quaking in my boots. But fortunately, I had, you know, the track record and the experience. And I was able to um, enjoy it, which I really enjoyed it. It seems like, at least through the YouTube channel, I haven't been to a TED event, but it seems like on YouTube that they really um, narrow things down. So it's they're very, it's either a short clip or it's the entire speech, but they keep it pretty much under 20 minutes is what I've seen, usually well under 20 minutes. Um, did you have any sort of guidelines that you had to follow? And was it difficult to keep a huge topic into such a so short segment? Well, they give you a time and you stick to it. You do not want to overrun at TED. And there's, a big, there's a big countdown clock at the front of the stage, which counts you down from your starting time. Um, and when it reaches zero, that's when you finish. You know? And I've seen people get hooked off the, uh, the TED stage in the past um, for either for, for going over or for going off topic and you know, selling. You're not allowed to sell on a TED stage. The, the mantra is ideas worth spreading. And it, the whole ethos of the thing is a great generosity. It's about <clears throat> transforming people's lives, moving people from where they are at the start of what you're saying to somewhere else at the end. There's, a, there's an arc that should be there in every good TED talk. And um, so the people don't get paid for doing it. It's a not-for-profit. You know, all the money that TED that goes into TED, it's expensive to attend. You know, it's many thousands of dollars to attend TED for four days when it starts up again. Um, but all of that money goes into the TED Fellow program, uh, funding the website and, you know, TED-Ed and all these programs that TEDx support. Uh, it's, you know, it, it is a, a very generous thing overall. And... Uh, I, I have huge respect for Chris and the team and what they've done there. Absolutely. Um, so I found your content and your TED Talk a few months ago and being a son of a motivational speaker and then um, my mom is a teacher and then I'm also a group fitness instructor. I do a lot of communicating. I was kind of grown up in communicating, listening, professional speaking. So I'm super uh, into and attracted to your content. But I first want to start with, Julian, why is communication so important? Well, uh, I, I particularly focus on spoken communication. So communication in sound. Sound is my big thing. I mean, my day job is I run a company called The Sound Agency, which is a global audio branding company specializing now in, you know, beautiful soundscapes for workspaces. So, you know, improving well-being and productivity. 
and helping people to feel secure when they go back into offices because there's a lot of fear out there post-COVID. Um, so we're using sound in very creative ways. Sound has always been my thing. So the, the, the talks I started giving at TED, I mean, the very first one was about the four effects of sound and then sound and health. And then I gave one on listening. And that was the point at which really I started to um, move into a, a different direction, which was about personal sound. You know, the sound agency is about the sound that organizations make and um, consume to a degree, although most organizations are terrible at listening. And <clears throat> when I did the third TED talk about the importance of listening, it really occurred to me that that's one of the major problems in the world. Um, and I have a model for communication, which is a circular one. So most people think it's a line, I speak, you listen, that's it. Um, but actually, the whole thing is circular and organic. So the way I speak affects the way you listen, the way you listen affects the way I speak, and many other factors go, the way I speak affects the way you speak, and so forth. It's, it's going on all the time. There's this circular relationship within a third thing that's really crucial, which is the context for the communication. Like right now, we are doing this across Zoom, and a lot of people are still pretty uncomfortable at missing out on physical presence, you know, all the little cues you get when you're actually sitting with somebody and going one step further away, although we can see each other in Zoom calls most of the time, uh, nevertheless, there are less cues and there are different rules and different etiquette. It's something I get asked about a, a lot right now, uh, virtual communication. Um, so it occurred to me that really this is about individual responsibility for the sound we make and for the sound we consume. And the biggest miss actually is not in the speaking. The biggest miss is in the listening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, te we teach children how to read and write at school. And it's a scandal if a, if a child leaves school unable to read or write, mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. However, we barely teach children how to speak. They're expected to pick it up. You know, it's not something, it's not a curriculum subject. Uh, more so in America than in my country. I mean, you do public speaking a lot more than we do. Um, nevertheless, you know, powerful speaking is something that isn't majored on. It's not a major thing. That's not uh, a priority. There aren't exams in it generally. And even less listening. A silent skill, very difficult to track or test, uh, very difficult to teach in many ways, but so important for our outcomes in life and really, really deprioritized. I mean, just to let you know that uh, on the TED website, at least, I'm not sure on YouTube, on the TED website, my talk about speaking has got five times as many views as my talk about listening. Interesting. And that says something. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Epictetus, uh, you know, I know you're interested in um, Stoic philosophy, but Epictetus, uh, the great Stoic, said we have two ears and one mouth that we may listen twice as much as we speak. That is not the modern way. We are absolutely focus on outward communication and when you start to think about the the tools that we've developed to in inverted commas improve our relationships and communication social media primarily a lot of that is about sending very little of it's about receiving you know people sitting there typing away you know i'm on a train tweet 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 like, who cares but we've got this fantasy that there are thousands of people out there hanging on our every syllable. Well, 
may be true if you're Donald Trump or somebody else who's got millions of followers. But for you and me, not so much, really. And so there's this kind of desire to be heard, which is about ego, of course. Uh, it's about feeling better about oneself. Listening is a passive skill. It's an act of great generosity. And it's so rarely done now. Most of the time we partially listen. We're doing something else. Yeah, yeah, I am listening to you, you know, while typing away. That's not actually listening. And, uh, you know, as I said at the beginning, I think communication is sorely needed. What You know, listening is sorely needed. Politicians go off and have talks. I wish they would go off and have listens instead. I think we'd be in a better place. Uh, so uh, that's a long-winded answer to your question. I, I hope that um, got somewhere near the target. Absolutely. And I want to unpack it. And I want to talk first about listening because I think we both agree that that's where the communication needs to really start. How can we, in such a noisy and busy world that we live in, most of us live in, how can we be better listeners, Julian? Well, uh, there is, uh, in my talk about listening, I suggested five exercises, which are very good ones still, I think. And in my book, I think I've got seven. Uh, I have an online course where I think there are seven or eight. Um, there are ways that you can improve your listening skill. The access to the whole thing <clears throat> is consciousness, is understanding that listening is a skill which is different from hearing. Hearing is a capability, and unless you've got a medical condition of some kind, you hear everything, uh, and you hear 360 degrees all around you. It's your primary warning sense. It's, you know, it's a very powerful sense. Uh, there are no vertebrates on this planet who don't have ears. There are plenty who don't have eyes. Uh, so hearing is fundamental. I think it's far easier to upset people through their ears than through their eyes. So certainly, we respond faster to sound than we do to to vision. However, hearing is just a capability. You hear everything. What you do after that is you select certain things to pay attention to, and then you make them mean something. That is listening. So my definition of listening is making meaning from sound. And that's what we do. And the important thing to realize about listening, once you get that it's a skill, is that every individual person has a unique listening. So yours, DJ, is different from mine. We came different roads to this conversation here today, and we listened through a set of filters. So when you realize that, okay, I have this unique thing, my listening, and it's a skill that I can actually work on and practice and become better at and master, well, that's a challenge then for you. Uh, you know, if you want to be um, a successful athlete or musician or business person or whatever it might be, astronaut, you know, it requires training. It requires dedication. It requires mastery, which can take thousands of hours of effort and repetition and so forth. Well, listening is no different. And the problem largely in the world is that we ignore it. We take it for granted. We think it's the same as hearing and it's just natural and, it, you know, we just do it. Well, that's not going to be very effective. And you can transform, radically transform your life outcomes by becoming a master listener. Um, you know, there was the, um, uh, the quote that I often use, uh, which is, 
I like to listen. Most people never listen. I've learned a great deal from listening. Um, which author was that? Hemingway. <laughs> Hemingway said that. Um, so I think he's right. And I think it's a huge advantage. If you become an expert listener, you learn more. You can inspire people because you understand them better. Uh, you can sell because you listen to what people need and you can really understand what it is they're seeking as opposed to just, you know, talking at them and selling them the wrong thing or trying to sell the wrong thing. Uh, you can build relationships, which are far more profound. I mean, what's the most common complaint in relationships? He or she never listens to me. Uh, so listening underpins so much of what we want to do in life, and yet we ignore it almost completely. So the message to everybody listening to this is it's a skill. Take it on. Once you shine the light of consciousness on this, you can start to improve it. Before that, nothing is possible. Unfortunately, I think it's a lost skill. And, and, and you, know, you know the people that are listening and you can kind of feel that, you can see that, and you definitely know when they're not. It's very apparent. And so something that um, you know, an exercise or a drill that maybe people could do is when they're speaking to somebody or somebody speaking to you, you close your mouth and don't open it until they are finished with their sentence. And I know it seems so... I don't know, simplistic thinking, but just the idea of not cutting people off, I think is kind of a lost art. Now people are cutting people off all the time just to interject their thoughts. Maybe one drill or mm. exercise you might echo is um, when somebody's talking to you, wait until they're completely finished before you open your mouth. Yes. In fact, I would take that one little step further, which is a great habit to get into for anybody who does interrupt. And, uh, you know, interrupting comes from one of the, one of the two basic human desires which underpin poor communication in my opinion uh, and this one is being right um well if, if you're an interrupter uh, the best thing to do is to get into the habit of taking a deep in breath before you speak it's good for you because your voice is just breath and certainly if you're of a public speaking it's a great thing to do because it calms nerves as well it's also just physically good for you to breathe deeply. We don't do much of it. But if you get into the habit of, oh, I might just realize that you're still speaking. It just gives me that second uh, to listen and realize that I'm going to be interrupting and talking right over the top of somebody. So you're quite right. And by the way, the other human desire which gets in the way of communication, I think, a lot uh, is looking good. So those two together, if they are kind of driving the way we communicate, then they're very destructive. If it's all about me looking good and impressing, that's a very shallow way to be. And people can tell a lot of the time. And it gives rise to um, some not very attractive habits, you know, um, exaggeration and, you know, grandiosity and, and all those kinds of things. Um, and the being right thing typically the easiest way to be right is to make somebody else wrong. And uh, there's a lovely quote from Harville Hendricks, who uh, uh, is a fine American relationship counselor and author. Um, he said, you can either be right or be in a relationship. And I think there's a lot of truth in that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so listening and being conscious, I think also plays a role with body language. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned about how we can be better listeners through our body language as well. 
Well, I'm by no, no means an expert on body language because my thing is sound, but I do have, um, you know, the basics of it. And uh, my exercise, Rasa, I think speaks into this. It's one of the listening exercises, which uh, I would recommend to anybody who has a need to engage in deeper, more productive, more relationship building conversations. If that's what you want, Rasa is very good. Uh, R-A-S-A. It's the Sanskrit word for juice. And in this context, it's an acronym. The first R is receive. And that means giving 100% of your attention to the other person. Um, you know, Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. And that's, I think, absolutely right. And yet it's a gift that we very reluctantly bestow these days. As you said, it's a fast-paced, multiple input, crazy world, We're always on. There's always something else going on. We've all got FOMO, you know, should I be doing something else? Should I be looking? Oh, somebody might have tagged me in a tweet or, you know, whatever it no, Facebook is tagging, isn't it? But <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, somebody might be talking about me. This ego-driven sort of obsessive need to have lots of things going on at the same time. We're not very good at being still anymore and being 100% focused anymore. And yet that's such a great practice. So that's how you listen to somebody. You listen to somebody by being still and giving them 100% of your attention. And... Um, by the way, if you're getting any background noise now, there's my family arriving home from school. So <laughs> we're Probably. all working. We're all working from home. No problem. Um, so that's the R of receive. And it, it carries through into what you asked me about, which is body language. It's so easy to display body language that's negative and that doesn't say, I'm giving you 100% of my attention. First and foremost, the eyes. If you're not looking at somebody, you're not really listening to them. You know, the dance of the eyes in the West, at least, is largely that the speaker will glance at the listener from time to time to check their talking, and, and most of the time be looking around. So it's pretty unnatural what you see on uh, TV programs where somebody's speaking to somebody and looking at them the whole time, and that makes you feel uncomfortable if somebody does that to you generally. The listener, on the other hand, absolutely needs to be looking at the speaker the whole time. I mean, yes, you know, if you're driving or doing something else, uh, maybe not. But if you're simply standing and listening or sitting and listening to somebody, then that shows you're paying attention with your body facing towards them, not kind of wanting to move away or go out the door. You know, feet direction is quite indica indicative. If, if the feet are pointing to the door, that person's trying to make an exit. So body language, um, in that way, leaning forward indicates interest. Lolling back uh, would tend to indicate uh, that you're not interested in what's being said. And it's important to be careful with these things. And we can get into habits. You know, maybe it, it becomes a habit to loll back. Easy for somebody to misinterpret that as a personal um, remark on what they're, or a personal observation on what's being said. Uh, when you didn't mean it that way. So consciousness, again, is really important, becoming conscious of body position. It's one of the reasons I enjoy, when I finally get back to doing it from time to time, standing on a stage and talking. Because when you're in front of a 1,000 or 10,000 people, uh, you become pretty conscious of what you're doing. And it's great training in that way because it elevates your consciousness, every gesture, every movement, the stance, the way you're breathing, all these things 
are amplified when there's sure. that many pairs of eyes looking at you. And I'm sure you get the same thing when you're teaching a class of people Sorry. that everybody's looking at you. You better not be slouching or, you know, looking bored or rolling your eyes or, you know, we don't do that when we're trying to inspire somebody. We are projecting what we want to the people to receive. It's a gift all the time that you're giving to people when you're speaking to a group and the body language needs to back that up. So that's a, a couple of words on body language. Just to finish Rasa, actually. Yeah, please do. Um, the A is appreciate, which is little noises and gestures which indicate that you're there with the person. Uh, you know, if we're on audio only, then it would be, oh, oh, really? Those little noises. And if you're in face to face with somebody or in, on video doing what you've been doing a lot, which is nodding and raising the eyebrows and smiling and, you know, those kind of things, which indicate that we're actually there in the conversation with the person. The S is summarize. The word so, greatly misappropriated now. <laughs> so it means therefore. Um, and it's a wonderful summarizing word. Um, it closes doors in the corridor of a conversation. Uh, so you can say, so what we've just uh, agreed is this. Is that right? Now we can move on to that. Or so what I heard you say is this. Did I get you? Is that correct? You can check that you've received properly, you can parcel stuff up and put it behind you and move on to the next thing. I like that. If, if you don't have a so person in a meeting, it can be a very long meeting going round and round and round. Um, and then, and I say it's misappropriated, of course, because, you know, it's now become a habit to start every conversation with, or every sentence with so. What's your name? So I'm John. Uh, what, you're John because I just asked you? <laughs> Doesn't quite figure. Um, yeah, and then the A is um, ask, asking questions, and ideally open-ended questions. Why, what, when, which, how, who, you know, those questions which don't permit the answer uh, yes or no, and seek more information. Uh, so those, that's Rasa, and it's a very good way to be in conversation with somebody. In my experience and certainly, you know, the people I, I have uh, helped with this kind of stuff, the experience is that the better you listen and the more you pay attention and you're engaged in the conversation, the more people will listen to you generally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amen. And in my industry, being a personal trainer, I have found over the years how important listening actually is. Sometimes um, some of the clients that we get just pay you to talk and they just want to, you to listen to their problems and be the therapist and the workout kind of comes second or third, right? And, that, and that's okay. Um, but Absolutely. if you don't know that going into it, it can be a super important part that the client maybe doesn't say to you right away, but deep down, that's a really important part. They just want to be heard. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, my partner, Jane, is a a four-time world champion martial artist and a yoga and well-being expert. And she has exactly your experience. People come book in for a 45-minute session and not an exercise gets done. <laughs> because and that's okay. They, yeah, that's fine because that you're, you're achieving well-being in a different way. You know, that's, that's the thing they needed to work on that day. Um, so I, I absolutely get that. Listening is such a gift, you know. It really is such a gift to give. So, I mean, like, let me challenge everybody listening to this. After this, the next opportunity you have at home, which is probably where you are, with a family member, really listen to them. Pay attention. Do rasa. Receive. Appreciate. Summarize. Ask questions. 
what you might get at the end of doing that is they might go, what are you doing? Because they're not used to it. You know, most of the time you're looking away, doing something else, half listening. It's what we do in families. But what a gift to give and what a difference to the, you know, the modern scenario of a family of people sitting around a dining table all on a device, nobody talking to anybody. Well, we can change that. I want to transition a little bit and talk about a part of your TED Talk that I really resonated with. It was the seven deadly sins of communication. And every one that you brought up, I was like, yes, yes, this is so, I, I just resonate with it so much. Could you, for the listeners who haven't listened to your TED Talk, could you run through the seven deadly sins of communication, why they're so deadly? Yes, of course. And I mean, I, that's a slightly tongue-in-cheek description. I'm not saying we should never, ever do these things. Uh, but I am saying that if... If they become strong habits and drive your communication, then they make you harder to listen to. So what they are really is holes in the bucket. They lose power. And if you want to speak powerfully, it's important to be aware of them. So the first one is gossip, speaking ill of somebody who's not present. It's not kind. Very often it's, un it's not true either. We know that. It's seductive to listen to gossip but we know perfectly well that when we walk away from the group, who's the gossip going to be gossiping about? It's going to be us. Um, so it's, it's generally, um, a, it's a negative form of communication. Um, and nobody really values a gossip. You know, they don't have people's best interests at heart. It doesn't come from a good place. So something to avoid. Very difficult to avoid it in the modern world, of course. I mean, if you took an oath to abstain from gossip for a day, or even a week, you'd have to think very carefully about the TV, radio, media, especially the internet that you consume, because so much of it is gossip. And uh, so we have to be quite careful. And you'd have to say to friends, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not doing that now. <laughs> you know, it, it would be unnatural in many ways. What's important, I think, is to be conscious of it and not to, um, not to dive into it and willfully indulge in it. The second of the seven uh, is judgment or judgmentalism, uh, really. I'm not condemning. I'm not talking about discernment, um, but condemning the kind of person for whom nothing is ever good enough, you know. And if you tend to be on the negative side, a good indicator is how often you use the word not. That's something to watch out for in speech. Can't, not, no. The, all those kind of negatives, uh, it, it, if that's your natural response to a lot of things, it's worth looking at. Um, and it's painful to be around somebody who's entirely judgmental. You know, the kind of parent whose child would come home and say, I got 95 in the test, and they say, what happened to the other five? You know, nothing's ever good enough. It's not inspiring to be around somebody who finds fault in everything. Then we have... Um, Negativity, uh, which again can be judged a lot with the not uh, word. And the story I told on the TED stage is absolutely a true story about my mother who was very, very, very negative in the last years of her life, unfortunately. And, you know, you can form an, a, a worldview. She did. Her worldview was everything's awful. And so whatever happened occurred to her as awful. I mean, I took a newspaper into her one day, said, oh, look, it's October the 1st. And she said, I know, isn't it awful? Well, 
you know, if October the 1st is awful, what hope is there really? <laughs> and it, it is just painful to be around somebody who's that negative. You say, oh, the sun's out, it'll be raining later. <sighs> you know, you have to go away and recharge your batteries and come back and try again. Uh, next door to negativity, we have complaining. Complaining, which is to some degree the British national pastime. Uh, we do like to complain a lot. Now, I'm not talking about righteous complaining. You know, if you get bad food in a restaurant, complain. Of course, you can do something about it. But um, as the Stoics would say, you know, there are things you can do stuff about in life and there are things you can't. And complaining about the things that you cannot affect is just viral misery. You know, the weather, uh, what the government's doing. You can affect that once every few years. But, you know, in between, not so much. Uh, the sport, you know. Uh, that kind of stuff, it's not making anybody feel good to be doing that. Next, we have excuses. Some people are blame throwers. Never my fault. Always somebody else's fault, something else's fault. Never me. The problem with that approach is if it's never your fault, you don't learn anything. You have no chance to grow and improve. It's so much more productive to take responsibility for what went wrong or to at least to look for your part in it and to say, okay, this is my contribution to that. This is what I'm, I'm sorry about that, to apologize to whoever was hurt. This is what I'm putting in place to make sure that never happens again as a structure or a change or an alteration. And then move on, really. Um, apart from excuses, I think we've got two left now. There's exaggeration, which is a very big part of looking good. It's the exaggeration to, for example, I mean, I'm sure nobody listens, listening to this has ever claimed to have read a book they haven't read or seen a film they haven't seen. You know, Solzhenitsyn, yeah, he's awfully good, isn't he? <laughs> you know, that, it, it's a tendency, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a temptation in com communication to be a bit full of the BS, to, to um, be giving it large, as they say on the streets of London these days, um, bigging ourselves up a little bit. Uh, well, you know, to a degree, that's natural. And it occurs in language a great deal. And, you know, a while back, it was okay for us to be excited about something. Now we have to be super excited, don't we? It's not enough to be excited anymore. And probably in a year or two, we'll have to be hyper excited or super, super excited or something. Uh, so it's kind of a language inflation going on, like the word awesome, which is uh, much abused on your side of the Atlantic. You know, if a, if a pizza is awesome, what's a sunset? We've lost the word to describe it. Um, so exaggeration, hyperbole, as the Greeks would say, which means throwing beyond. It's, it's to some degree natural, and yet it can become a little bit addictive. And obviously, the moment it bleeds into lying out and out lying, then our speech becomes far less powerful. If people know you're lying, they're not interested in listening to you. And finally, we have dogmatism, my way or the highway, which is the confusion of fact with opinion. They are two different things. And unfortunately, what's been happening in politics over the last few years, uh, particularly uh, with your possibly ex-president or possibly not, who knows. Um, this confusion of opinion with fact has been 
really blurring the lines in politics in my country as well as yours. So people are stating opinions as if they were facts. And that becomes, you know, a lingua franca. It becomes the way that people are communicating. It becomes okay to thump the table and insist. I wish we could get back to a situation, perhaps we had it more clear in the past, perhaps we didn't. I wish we could get to a situation where we are clear this is my opinion. Would you like to hear it? And you might say no. And I would say, oh, well, it was an awfully good opinion, but that's your right. I'm, uh, but we don't do that, do we? We just, you know, Reject. thrust. Yeah, we just thrust our opinions down people's throats and that's it. Um, so those are the seven deadly sins. None of them, you know, in and of themselves are awful. But if you indulge in them and if they become drivers in your communication, they do make you pretty hard to be around, pretty hard to listen to. And I would advise just setting up little alarm bells on, the, on each of these to make sure that uh, they're not too much in play. What I've, after reading and, and learning more about the seven deadly sins, I've kind of been picking up on it more in my gym and just wherever I go. And I, what I've found too, Julian, is that I feel like the, these seven deadly sins are very um, surfacey and it's easy for people to fall back on. It's easy for somebody to complain, it's going to snow today and complain about that. And it's a little bit more challenging to talk with somebody about deeper, more brilliant ideas. So instead, they just take the easy route. They talk crap about their coworker or complain about the snow. Do you find that some of these deadly sins are easier and, that, and because of that, they're committed more often? Well, intimacy is not you know, a strength in the modern world so much. Um, you know, there was a great insult that Oscar Wilde offered to some nobleman he didn't like. He said, his mind is like a soup dish wide but shallow and uh, if you read sherry turkle's book alone together about modern technology she was a great proponent of the internet and um you know the the idea of the global village and it's going to bring us all closer together and it's a wonderful thing for the world and so forth one big family actually now she strongly feels that it's driving us apart and it's creating this world of lots of very very shallow relationships instead of a, a smaller number of deep relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right in terms of communication. Um, you know, we've become less willing to go deep with people and that's helped enormously by communicating in tweets. You know, I, I often show the tweet, you know, you letter U R letter R dumped. Well, you know, it may not get sent and uh, read that often, but it does get sent, it does get read, and it's a safer way to do it, isn't it? It's arm's length. You don't have to see the reaction. You don't have to empathize with the person at all. Uh, you're not there. And um, sadly, the research, we did some uh, a few years ago, the research indicates that younger people particularly are much keener to ask people out or you know, end relationships using Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be, or instant messaging of some kind, WhatsApp, I mean, some platform or other, they're keener to do it by text than they are in person or even on a phone call. And that feeds through to the point where you get people coming for interviews in companies who really don't know how to talk and present themselves because they're so used to communicating with their friends on WhatsApp or uh, any other platform that... You know, other platforms are available. Um, 
So I think we have got an issue right now with with this shallowness and particularly with an inability or an unwillingness to go deep face-to-face with somebody, to sit looking at somebody and share properly from the heart with them and be intimate. And that's something we're losing a lot, I think, in the world. Yeah, it's definitely a, a lost art to say the least. And hopefully, you know, with the pandemic that we're not losing that even more, it's not going even faster, I guess. So, you know, you hope that at some point we can be in more of a intimate space and not lose that completely as a society. Well, it can go one of two ways with VC, I suppose, with visual, video conferencing, which of course is mis- misnamed anyway. It's audio conferencing with optional video, really. Um, you know, if the video goes down, you can carry on perfectly well. If the sound goes, what are you going to do? You know, wave, use sign language, hold up bits of paper. So uh, it could be that that makes it easier to talk to, you know, grandma who's living on her own, um, maybe. Uh, on the other hand, maybe those interactions she was having with her local community are um, stopped altogether and she only gets the one call from you. I don't know how it pans out. We have yet to, to know. Uh, what we do know or what is starting to emerge is that the pandemic has had a dramatic negative effect on the mental health of many, many people. And uh, being locked away like this is really not good for human beings. And we need, I mean, it's said that two things make us happy in life. Number one, and then neither of them are money or fame or respect or any of those things. Number one, service, doing things for other people. Number two, relationship, as in friends, family, you know, intimate relationship. And uh, neither of those two things come about through sitting and looking at Facebook all day. I thought something else that was interesting was as I marinate on this and, and, and listen to you is that you've brought up the word ego a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting how, whether we're talking about listening or speaking, ego is kind of a foundational piece of this. And it could be because I'm very into stoic philosophy and I'm attracted to that word ego. But um, tell me a little bit more about why is ego such a big part of both of these? Well, uh, ego, if you're unconscious and you are basically the ego is in the driving seat, then, you know, it's fragile. It wants affirmation, approbation. Uh, It wants, you know, stroking all the time. And it's very sensitive to being criticized or um, having anything negative happen to it. Uh, It's possessive. It's attached. You know, there are lots of things about ego because it's fundamentally, uh, it's very childlike uh, and you know, you could talk talk about it as you're in a child or whatever, but if you allow that to be you, then it is problematic for communication. I very much like the work of Eckhart Tolle um, because he talks in the same way I talk about the inner voice. You know, the inner voice listening to the inner voice is very, very important. It's another form of listening, not listening to the outside world to sound and listening to your inner voice. But the key realization, which is similar to... Um, what Tola talks about with the ego is to realize that the inner voice is not you. The inner voice may be a part of you that was damaged. It may come from a place where there was a bad experience in the past or, you know, that inner voice that says, don't you dare go on that dance floor. Well, that's trying to help you, but it may not be helpful at that moment. If you're not the inner voice, who are you? You're the one who's listening. 
Now that is a different place to be. If you're the one who's listening, you're like the king on the throne. The inner voice is like a jester who comes. You can tousle its head and say, thanks for sharing. Now be off. I'm going to do it anyway. So it's really important that we have an existence that's outside of, bigger than the ego. The ego is part of us. And I'm not saying you want to you know, surgically remove it. You can't. Uh, we've got those scars and those pains and that experience of life. And we have that childlike need to be loved and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if you look at pretty much <clears throat> any spiritual path, um, they, they will say the same thing about attachment and control and ownership and uh, neediness and desire to have things from other people. Life is about giving. You know, it's a wheel. If you're giving, you will receive. And uh, so Buddhists talk, I think the first noble truth of Buddhism is uh, all human suffering comes from attachment. That desire, that attachment to have, you know, I, and that, that, that gives us this fantasy, which I think is one of the big illusions, uh, which is prevalent in modern life, which is happiness is over there. Happiness is that car that I haven't got yet. Happiness is that when I get that house, when I get that relationship, when I lose that weight, whatever it may be, then I'll be happy. Mm. But happiness is never over there. It's always right here, right now. And that's why it's important, really, to, to rise above the ego, to be outside of it, to love it, nourish it, respect it, but to be more than it and not to be given by it. Very profound. I have two more questions here as we wrap things up, Julian. And this is coming more from a coaching uh, lens in the, in the more of a group fitness instructor kind of um, way of looking at things. But the first question is, how can somebody who maybe isn't a loud voice, maybe they're not big in stature, how can somebody like that command a room better, a room full of athletes, individuals who they're trying to coach? How can somebody command a room better? Well, I think coming from stillness is very useful. Uh, being still is, is a powerful place to be. Um, listening is the source of power to me. And if you're in a room with people and you, you understand that you always speak into a listening, you need to be listening to the listening. Uh, now, that may sound confusing to people, but there is a listening there. I said we all have this individual listening because we listen through filters that build up through our lives you know you've had your experience i've had my experience our filters like values attitudes beliefs intentions expectations emotions these things all color our listening right here right now so if you ask yourself the question what's the listening i'm speaking into you become sensitive to that and it becomes much easier to hit the target uh, if you ignore that then it's much more difficult. You know, thinking that everybody listens like I do is a huge mistake and a very common one. So that's the first thing to understand is there's a group of people there. They've all brought their own listening. So there's a kind of gestalt listening and they may know something about you. You bring your own contribution to that listening. Uh, maybe they respect you a great deal. Maybe they don't know who you are at all. You know, you need to factor these things in. And if, some, if people don't know who I am at all and I walk into a room, hello, let me introduce myself. And some credentials will help to establish authority sure. uh, and, and create that respect. Uh, and also the way you hold yourself, you know, your stance, your breathing, your posture. I mean, the exercises that I talk about um, for powerful speaking 
those will all help. So if you look like you're confident, if you breathe like you're confident, if you open your mouth and instead of, um, hello, everybody, and, you know, this kind of slightly shaky delivery, instead it comes out, hi, okay, sit down. And then suddenly you've got command and authority. You don't have to be tall. Size has got nothing to do with it. Uh, what, it's, what, what it comes from is the inner uh, power that you develop as you work on these exercises and you understand how important speaking powerfully is. My last question as we're wrapping up on time is another thing that, that people talk about when speaking, especially that I've noticed just in my industry, is the filler words. And if, in Minnesota and the Midwest, it's, you know, you know, you know, at the end of every sentence or right, there's always that filler word. How can coaches do a better job at getting rid of their filler word? I think everybody's got a different one. How can we get rid of that? Video yourself. I mean, if you get feedback, it's much easier to deal with these things. If you can't video yourself, record, just record. You can do this on a phone. It's so easy these days. Set up a phone on a stand, video your classes, and you watch it back and you're going, oh my goodness, I did not know I did that thing. And you'll stop doing it pretty quickly as you, as you see it. But it's much harder to see your own game. You know, that's why people have coaches, because we can't see our own game. So uh, you can ask people as well. I mean, is there something I do that's annoying or whatever? Other people may not notice it, but videoing yourself is a real tell. I mean, you, you can spot those words and it is unnecessary. You know, there's nothing wrong with silence. Uh, you, when I'm standing on stage, I do this, you know, even in a, in a big auditorium, I can stop for the longest time, just stop. Now, I won't do it for long now because that's called dead air if, if you don't have a video signal and people turn off. Um, but if, you, if you're stopping for five seconds, that's magnificent. It shows confidence. You're not looking uncomfortable in front of the people. You're looking around and everybody feels calm and comfortable and you're in command of the situation. Mm. You do not have to fill every bit of the thing with ums and ers and you knows and rights and whatever it might be, likes and, you know, all these little verbal ticks. Mm -hmm. So if it's a tick, videoing yourself will remove it. And if you're feeling the need to babble, calm yourself right down and remember silence is your friend. Mm. Silence is your friend. I think that's a huge takeaway for people. Be okay with a little bit of silence. Sometimes that gets people so nervous as presenters, like three seconds goes by and they just, you know, I think that is a huge message that needs to be reiterated. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Uh, Julian, where can I point my listeners uh, to get more of your content? We have your, your book and your TED Talk in the show notes. What else? What other things can they look for? Well, just come by juliantreasure.com. And we were speaking before we started recording. Uh, we've got this great thing that I've done recently with Neil Gordon, a speaker coach, where we, we pulled apart my um, top, was it number five of all time TED Talk now, I think, mm -hmm. the one on speaking. Uh, we've absolutely uh, done a post-mortem on it and pulled it to pieces and looked at all the lessons, what to do, what not to do, why I did this, why I did that. Uh, and I think there are some great lessons for anybody who, has, who wants to speak powerfully. That's free. Just come by the website and uh, pop your email address in and we'll send it, a link to you. And it's 50 minutes of just great instruction. So that's the best way to connect. And uh, then we keep you... So I've got a couple of webinars coming up about virtual communication, actually, oh, as well. So good reasons to stop by. We'd, we'd be delighted to see anybody. 
Awesome. Julian, thank you for taking the time. I understand how busy you are. So thanks for taking the time to be on the MyFit podcast today. My absolute pleasure, DJ. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to give us some feedback on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. Also, go check out Julian's website, juliantreasure.com. And we will see you next week for another episode on the MyFit podcast.